commanding views over the Karst of Stirling, the Oakle Hills and beyond, Stirling Castle was built on a volcanic crag 220 feet above the plains, a local vantage point from which any attacking or invading force could be seen. It is likely the local Métis tribe established a broch or dun on what is now known as Castle Rock. The first record of a building hails from the Roman period when Agricola was said to have erected fortifications on the rock. He was also possibly involved in the building of the Roman road which runs below the castle. St Monina, who died in 519, was chronicled in the Irish books as establishing one of her seven churches at Streveline. The town is also associated with many battles in ancient times between the Northumbrian Saxons and the so-called Wild Scots. The castle itself began as a single tower house similar to the one used in the city's coat of arms. But over the centuries, the kings of Scotland made alterations and additions as it became their favourite residence. In 1120, Alexander I built a chapel at the castle, where he died in 1124. David I lived in it, and William the Lion died in it. When Alexander III died in 1286 without heirs, Stirling took centre stage as Edward I, or Longshanks as he was known in Scotland, stripped puppet king John Balliol, Lord of Galloway, of his crown, invaded Scotland and marched on Stirling when the Scots abandoned it. Before returning to England, he ensured a strong garrison at the castle to repel Scottish rebels and to keep the people in their place. In 1297, William Wallace defeated the English at Stirling Bridge and the castle was returned to Scottish hands. However, it was short-lived as Wallace was defeated the following year at the Battle of Falkirk and the English retook it. The Scots again did not take it lying down and regained the castle until 1303 when Edward I returned to the country. Stirling Castle held out, the last place in Scotland to do so, with the siege beginning on 22nd April and lasting for 19 weeks. Governor William Oliphant, with less than 200 men at his disposal, had held out as long as possible until starvation forced them to surrender. The castle walls stood against the barrage well, but one section was breached. Oliphant and the other leaders were captured. He spent four years in the Tower of London before being released and returned to Scotland. He died in 1329. In 1306, Robert Bruce was crowned king following the murder of John Coman, Balliol's nephew and guardian of Scotland. And the following year, Longshanks died. All of the strongholds in Scotland were recaptured by the Scots, except Stirling, which remained in English hands until 1314. The governor, Sir Philip Mowbray, was given an ultimatum. He was to leave before the Feast of St John on Midsummer's Day, 24th June 1314, which he did. Edward II, however, 
was hell-bent on retaining it, so sent an army north with him at the helm, arriving near Stirling on 23rd June. On 24th June, the Battle of Bannockburn took place, with the English army defeated and the castle surrendered. It changed hands a few more times, but remained in Scottish hands after 1342 for over 300 years, even though the country was still invaded from time to time. The Stuarts probably had the biggest impact on the castle. James I meted out justice against itinerant nobles, and in its shadow, the beheading stone at Gowan Hill was used on Regent Murdoch, his sons and other relatives, in 1425. James's son, James II, was born at the castle, as were James V and James VI, who was educated there by John Buchan. James V made it his favourite residence and often went among the local people disguised as the good man of Balangeich. The widow of James IV, Margaret Tudor, spent much of her time there, as did Marie of Guise, the second wife of James V. In 1515, a dramatic event took place between Margaret Tudor and John Stuart, the Duke of Albany. She had taken refuge with her children at Stirling. The Duke of Albany then appeared with an army and prepared to lay siege to the castle. Unwilling to go through with the demeaning siege, she met Albany at the gates with her children including the infant king, James V. Putting the massive keys of the fortress into his hands, she motioned to James to give them to Albany, who, kneeling down, took them and cuddled the boy. He returned the children to their mother on condition she remain at the castle. This paved the way for Albany to become regent. Both Mary, Queen of Scots, and her son, James VI, spent their early childhoods at Stirling, with Mary being crowned queen there following her father's death. When James VI moved his royal court to London, the role of the castle changed from royal residence to military garrison. In 1651, General George Monk besieged the castle during the Cromwellian Civil War. And during the Jacobite uprising of 1715, it was held under the forces of the Duke of Argyle, who effectively blocked passage through the River Forth, Stirling being the easiest crossing point from north of the country to the south. Thirty years later, during the 1745 uprising, the supporters of Charles Edward Stuart, or Bonnie Prince Charlie, marched on Stirling and tried to seize the castle but were repelled by Governor William Blakeney, then the Duke of Cumberland. The oldest buildings at the site date from the 14th century. From the Esplanade, there was a drawbridge leading into the original entrance and the lower quadrangle. James V built the magnificent palace, which was adorned with grotesque carvings. Consisting of three storeys, the ground floor was used as a storeroom. The first floor was the principal floor, and it consisted of dining rooms, reception rooms, withdrawing rooms, and public and private apartments, all of which were large and airy, with finely carved stone fireplaces. 
the upper floor contained bedchambers. It was built in the Renaissance style, heavily influenced by French architecture, although there are some traces of Gothic architecture. Above each first floor window was carved a tympanum bearing the royal initials J5 on a tablet supported by a dolphin on each side. The bars on the window are said to have been put in place to protect James VI and a story goes that the St Ninian's blacksmith who made them got no payment until he was crowned King of England in 1603. He went to London with his account and presented it to the King who authorised its payment. The account was made out in pounds Scots, but he got paid by the Treasury in London in English pounds, meaning he was paid 12 times more than he was entitled to. It was from this palace that the Stirling heads were taken down in 1777, secured by the Governor of Stirling Jail, who gave them away. The Stirling Corporation secured others. These heads were a series of oak carvings with heads inside and wreaths surrounding the edges. They were of the King and Queen and their contemporaries. The ceilings where they were attached were probably divided by oak struts and the heads placed in each square. It was here James V mourned the loss of his first wife, Queen Madeleine of Valois, in 1537, and where he married Marie of Guise the following year. Their infant daughter, Mary Queen of Scots, was crowned at the castle on 9th September 1543, aged nine months, having become queen at just six days old following the death of her father. She was kept there until, for security reasons, she was taken to Inchmahome, aged five, along with the four Marys, before setting sail to France, where she spent the next 13 years in the French court. In 1562, she returned to Stirling, where she narrowly escaped being burned to death by accident. It was also there she met Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley, and married him. Their son, who became James VI following Mary's abdication in 1567, was baptised there. He was crowned at the parish church of Stirling nearby, aged 13 months, and brought up by John Erskine, the Earl of Mar, the hereditary keeper of the castle. Meanwhile, his mother languished in England, a prisoner of Elizabeth I, until her death on 8th February 1587. At the centre of the quadrangle was the lion's den, or the main court. On the first floor, there was a suite of state rooms, with the floor above being residential. These later became officers' quarters. In the upper quadrangle was the Great Hall, also known as the Parliament Hall, built by James III, measuring 126 feet by 36 feet, the largest in Scotland. In 1777, this became a barracks, much with the integrity of the old royal affiliation destroyed. Below the castle were the vaults in which the radical prisoners John Baird and Andrew Hardy were kept 
until their execution in 1820 at the Market Cross in Stirling. The Douglas Room is infamous. Situated to the left of the square, it was where the young James II killed 27-year-old William, 8th Earl of Douglas, in February 1452. Douglas, a friend of the King, had been invited to dine with him, probably to try and reason with him, but James accused him of taking an allegiance against him with John MacDonald, Lord of the Isles, and Alexander Lindsay, Earl of Crawford, and an argument ensued. The fiery-tempered King stabbed his friend with a dagger. He was finished off by courtiers and in all was stabbed 26 times. One courtier was alleged to have smashed his skull with an axe. His bloody body was thrown from the window and buried in the courtyard below. A royal chapel was constructed by James VI for the baptism of Henry, his son, in 1594, at a cost of £100,000, a fortune at the time. The ceiling was embellished with gold and the walls adorned with pictures, sculptures and other ornaments. The scale of the celebration was enormous, with a sumptuous banquet following his christening in the Great Hall. In 1542, James V established the Mint at the castle, where bobbies and half-bobbies, originally known as babies, were coined. The buildings between the original entrance and the present one were constructed at the time of Queen Anne, as were the Spur Battery and the Queen Anne Battery. On the castle ramparts, there are viewpoints named after Mary Queen of Scots, known as Queen Mary's Lookout and marked with MR, and Queen Victoria's Lookout after Victoria's visit there in 1842. With the outbreak of the Revolutionary Wars and Napoleonic Wars, Stirling Castle began its career as a military barracks, having fallen into disrepair. In 1794, it was a rendezvous point when Campbell of Loch Nell mustered the Duke of Argyll's Highland Regiment, which eventually became the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders. The barracks were provided by splitting the Great Hall into rooms, with an insertion of walls and floors. The Chapel Royal became a storage facility, and new buildings were added, such as the Guard House and the Fort Major's House. Powder magazines were put in at the Nether Bailey. In 1906, King Edward VII asked for the maintenance of the building to be passed to the Office of Works from the War Office, and in 1964 it ceased as a military post. The Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders Regimental Museum is housed in the King's Old Building, which was damaged by fire in 1855. More recently, major works were carried out at the castle with the restoration of the Great Hall in the 1990s, with Queen Elizabeth II opening it on 30th November 1999, and the restoration of the Stirling Heads. Excavations also took place and nine bodies were found at a lost royal chapel under the governor's kitchen, dating from between 13th and 15th centuries. Two of these, a man and a woman, were of great interest to archaeologists, 
with the man thought to be a knight who died from an arrow wound and the woman killed by a double blow to her skull from a mace. Both were thought to be in their twenties and being buried in the old chapel suggests they were both of high status. Resplendent in its beauty and historically one of the most significant buildings in the country, Stirling Castle's rich history continues to grow to this day.